0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and we have made it to the end of another year. 2023 is in the bag, and we are, in fact, now in 2024 as we speak. Uh, But we always have our end of the year review episodes, and this year is going to be no different. Um, especially as we're getting close to the end of this podcast. This is going to be a very interesting episode, um, just you know, in terms of it being possibly the final one, in case you know, you never know, I might change my mind and do it again next year. But um, as for those of you who are only tuning in for our end-of-the-year reviews, again, we are uh, closing up shop uh, on episode 300. And so these last episodes I'm trying to make the best ever, and so that is why I've brought on our perennial guest, I guess it's annual guest, uh, my own brother, Stephen Klein. Stephen, how are you doing?
1: I'm great. Hey, happy to be here for what some are saying. And by some, I mean you just now. Might be the, the best episode ever.
0: Well, you know, I, I try to go into each and every episode with that idea in mind. And so I think I think we can make it happen.
1: I, hey, I'm here for it. I'm I'm going to do everything in my power to make that reality today.
0: I love that. Great. So this is the energy we're bringing today. And, uh, you know, we started, I believe, last year's episode um, with a little segment called, uh, you know, how are the (laughs) how are the movies is is kind of the the segment Uh, looking back at 2023 as a uh, an adventure in cinema. Uh, And obviously I've had plenty of time to talk about this. Uh, I'm more concerned about your thoughts on this, but I know we had again. I think some interesting conversations last year around the state of the movies. Uh, Stevie, how are the movies?
1: The, the movies are movies are here to stay. Let me uh, in us to keep it short and sweet. They're here to stay. I I think this past year has been good for movies. I I think the big thing that I would point to as indicative in that sense is the whole the whole Barbie Oppenheimer thing like that was a very interesting cultural moment to have for movies. Mm -hmm. And that was two movies that did not have the sort of lore behind them or the mechanics. Obviously Barbie is a big studio film and Oppenheimer is Christopher Nolan. We all love Christopher Nolan, but for those are like two of the top grossing movies of the year, which is really cool because they aren't part of some larger network and they're not, I mean, Barbie is an IP movie but kind of a risk because it's not like there's other Barbie movies in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's not really tried and true. So to see those two movies succeed in the way they did was really cool. I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of people trying to replicate that. I don't think it can be replicated really. It's just a you had to be there kind of thing. And then the flip side of that is I'm sure you've talked about this in other episodes, but we've seen Uh, the cookies start to crumble when it comes to superhero movies and you might disagree, but obviously Mm. we've, I think we've seen some movies coming from both Marvel and DC this year that were not, you know, not really performing where people wanted them to not, you know, making back their budgets in some sense. And it's like, that could be distressing, but I think seeing that paired with the success of some other movies this year, uh, I think things are doing great. And I got to see a lot of movies this year, so it was a good movie year for me, too.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, and I I, uh, I agree with you. I think people have gotten to the point where I guess you could say studios have gotten to the point, and they should have gotten to this point a long time ago, that um, you know they took for granted what they had when it came in terms to the IP. And, and not to say you know, some of these superhero movies were, were not good. Um, you might find some of them are going to be in this top ten list. Right. but. I can't deny the performance that obviously other people are getting either tired of them or they're thinking they can wait till it comes to streaming. I think yeah. that that to me, that's the most interesting thing that came out of this year. Because I think last year, you know, when we talked about it, our our theme was, and I, I loved your comment that movies are here to stay. I feel like yeah. last year, the comment was the movies are back, baby. That was right. kind of where we were at. And I think... The studios felt that way, too. Oh, the movies are back. And I think there's this idea that a lot of the kind of, I guess you could say older or maybe the more conservative parts of the industry, like, you know, movie studios, you know, it's kind of like the whole COVID thing where people were like, we just want to go back to normal when, yeah. you know, it's like, well, there is no going back to the way things were. There's there's a new normal that we need to try and figure out what it is. And I think the studios kept trying to bring things back to the way that they were. And you can see the entire industry is struggling with this, um, at least from what I've learned this year. Like the the intense scrutiny that I've given, uh, I think it's Vanity Fair. It's either Vanity Fair or Variety. The, uh, the articles that they post every weekend for like who's the box office champ or whatnot – Uh, It's just it's a different experience this year than it was last year. And I think, again, they're in the same boat of like, oh, you know, this movie didn't do so well compared to the last film that released. It's like, yeah, but you forgot the last film released before COVID or the last film released before, you know, whatever it is like the, the landscape has changed. So I think studios this year have felt that way of like, okay, maybe people are coming back to the theater now, but certainly not as many people are coming back to the theater as there would have been beforehand. So now we really sure. need to focus on making very good movies, um, really great stories, whether you're focused on IP or not, the, the the movie itself just needs to be really good. And I think yeah. a lot of these fell short of that. And I think people noticed that and then started saying, well, it doesn't matter, you know, this movie is going to come to streaming. Uh, you know, in 45 days, so I can just wait a little bit longer. I've got three kids, so I don't want to spend $100. Yeah,
1: and one thing uh, while you're talking, I was just looking this up on Box Office Mojo. Uh, As far as, like, seeing the impact that COVID had, I was looking at, like, in 2019, there were, I see nine movies that hit a billion dollars worldwide. 2020, there was zero. 2020, there was just one. Right. And that was Spider-Man: No Way Home. But then 2022, we had uh, three, and then this past year we had uh, two. And uh, Oppenheimer was almost at a billion too, which is crazy for a movie like that. But you know, we're back to multiple movies making a billion dollars. If that's any indication of what like a bounce back from the impact that COVID has had. But I agree that you know it's not. I think people obviously now that they're given the option to stay home and watch things on streaming, a lot of people are going to choose that. So this is like the new reality that we're looking at. And I I would hope that it results in people making better movies. I I like the investment that, you know, another interesting thing this year too is one of the movies I'm sure we're both going to talk about today is killers of the flower moon. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen that's, you know, an Apple funded movie and Apple being this big company with a lot of money to burn and, you know, Killers didn't do that well at the box office, but I don't think they really care because it bolsters their streaming catalog. And I like seeing that, even if that sort of thing restricts the movie in a certain way. The fact that we were able to see it in theaters and the fact that it's made and doesn't really make a profit, but who cares? I like that mentality. I think that, you know, it's important for art.
0: Yeah, I had that same mentality for the Marvels, you know, almost word for word with what you said in terms of its, you know, two hundred and seventy million dollar budget, and it did not make that back. But Disney certainly didn't come out and say we didn't care about that. We just wanted to <laughs> use it to bolster our streaming services. They certainly could have, but they didn't. Um, but that, that's that's where I think where my biggest issue was, and you you and I had talked about that. Of like, that's where the variety articles came in. You know, they yeah. calling Killers of the Flower Moon a success. But the Marvels is not a success when the Marvels outperformed Killers of the Flower Moon, Um, and and again, I think people they're they're in this stage, and I I know you agree, uh, you know, being so um, kind of hip to the uh, the I don't know what you would want to call the uh, the YouTube community, the the Twitter sphere, but just this idea that productively online, yeah, yeah, exactly. You're really online for sure, absolutely, and uh, you know just this idea that. Um, you know outrage is really what drives people to click on things and yeah. <clears throat> the, especially oh. now in Twitter you know where it's like that's how you make your money is to just get people mad and, and commenting on your stuff and I, I feel like you know that's kind of seeped into the cultural zeitgeist these last few years certainly and so I, th- I think people were waiting for a moment to strike uh, you know because they tried with Captain Marvel they tried with Black Panther and you know nothing worked people actually like those movies but i think um you know it was like oh when's the day that Marvel's going to make a bad movie and it's like well they've had they've had some duds it's why are you rooting for somebody to fail is the bigger problem and then you know when something like that happens of again the movie itself the marvels was great but uh you know the box office is not great and now the here come the sharks are in the water and you know they They need that. So yeah, that, that part was probably the most frustrating thing about the movies for me this year that, and just the, uh, it it really didn't feel like, I don't know. It didn't feel like as much of a movie year this year as it did last year. But in the same sense, when I look at this list, it really did. I don't know what it was. It just, it seemed like every weekend, a new movie came out. It wouldn't do as well as people thought it would. And I don't know. It's just, I'm wondering where things are going to go from here. I really hope that studios, uh, kind of in the vein of you know i maybe we can talk about this of like taylor swift and beyonce releasing their um their their concerts into theaters and they bypassed the studio system and had amc do the uh the distribution of it which is pretty huge and so i'm wondering if maybe we'll start seeing more things like that where it's you know trying to capture the zeitgeist of you know whether that's a movie a music person or uh, with like a re-release you know how like Disney's going to yeah. be releasing Soul Turning Red and Luca here in the next few months uh, in theaters I just saw I was looking at like oh he's on Tuesday they're re-releasing the extended edition of Two Towers in at least at the Cinemark. Uh, wow. Things like that, where they they re-release older films that I'm sure anyone would love. I would love to go to the theater to see any movie, but if especially if it was a movie that I either grew up loving or haven't gotten to see because it was too old, you yeah. know, for me, uh, to me, that's like the future of movies of turning this into more of an event thing. Obviously, you'd still have your big blockbusters coming through, but I don't know. I just you know if they're trying well, to make I, money, there's a I lot. Think of
1: – I think we still kind of see that. I think that's something that has uh stuck around a little post COVID. I've noticed with AMC at least, you know, whenever I look to see what movies are out, it's like almost every few weeks or so I see there's some sort of older movie that's playing in theaters. Kind of like mm-hmm. they always did the Fathom Events, but now it's just yep. a little more, hey, here's a big movie. And then they also have the ability where you can, you know, do a private theater rental, which I'm sure oh, yeah. I don't I haven't done that yet. I, I can't imagine what that would look like. But I feel like that's a really cool thing too to give people that option if the you know 'Cause obviously there are people like us who really do still want to go to the movies and I think they're catering to that to the extent they can. They're not mm-hmm. they're obviously not gonna get those people that are gonna watch on streaming, but that's okay. If if the movies can still succeed in both ways, I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah, and that that almost then brings it to the studios focusing on um you know, making making a movie for less, and I think yeah. I think you see that especially with like Godzilla coming out and everyone seeing how good that movie was on a fifteen million dollar budget. Uh, you know, if if Hollywood starts doing that, then they're going to be just fine because you know people are going to come see that movie. Especially if you look at that from the perspective of those movies that make the most, like horror films, and you know yeah. comedies haven't been doing well recently. But especially if you make them funny and you make them low budget, that you know you you could easily make your money back. Sure. On top popcorn sales but okay awesome so hey i i think you're right i think we're heading in a good direction movies certainly are here to stay uh let's dive into our lists so um we're gonna go with five we're gonna share five honorable mentions and then from there we're gonna do our top 10 list like i said i will probably there's a Few movies in here that I haven't had an episode to talk about that I've watched recently that I'll probably talk just a little bit more so on maybe, um, but for many of these or for again I'm more concerned about your thoughts on your movies because I think a lot of ours might be similar, and yeah. obviously I haven't had you on for all of them so we'll we'll certainly put the spotlight on our most illustrious and esteemed guest, um, but let's uh, let's get started uh, with our illustrious and esteemed guest on the uh, honorable mention. Stevie, want to kick us off?
1: Sure. Uh so honorable mentions I'm not really ranking these 5. I just kind of pulled out 5 that I wanted to give a shout out to in addition to the top 10. Uh first one I want to include is Blackberry. And I don't think you've seen this movie. Mm,
0: no, I have not.
1: So this is a sort of a biopic type of movie that's about the founding of the Blackberry company and the creation of that phone and sort of the rise and fall of that experience because obviously it at one point was the phone to have and now of course that's the iphone so it's faded to obscurity it's a really interesting story and uh you know i think it's jay baruchel if i don't know if that's how you say his name he's the lead actor and then uh glenn howerton is in it as well and i feel like he should be in oscar contention for his performance he does a really good job just channeling the rage that we all know him for and it's always sunny into uh this business type of characters i was really impressed with his performance i really liked the story and this was a movie that yeah i don't know where it's available i just i was on a plane and saw it i've i've decided now when i go on planes to see what's in the in-flight catalog Mm because i look for stuff that i can't watch anywhere else and that that was a good choice for me because i really enjoyed that one
0: nice nice Love that. Yeah, no, I had, I, I feel like maybe that was mentioned at some point. I know you mentioned it, but I I just, I don't think I ever saw a trailer for it, but I I imagine that kind of came out around that same time of like dumb money. I feel, I feel like there was a lot of that sort of Tetris as well. There's always
1: a lot of these like tech. Yeah. It's like a tech tech biop. Yeah.
0: Or they should call it a biop tech,
1: something like that. But yeah. And that's why I feel like when I saw Blackberry on the in flight thing, I was, I think I was thinking of dumb money or whatever that other one was, because I Mm. didn't realize that this movie even existed. But then when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is about Blackberry. Obviously, the name gave that away, but yeah, there's a bunch of those swirling around out there. I didn't see Tetris. Did you see that one?
0: I did. No, I did not. Okay.
1: But anyway, Blackberry, great movie. Check it out. Don't know how or where. You can check it out, but
0: yeah. yeah. Hey, well, sometimes our listeners, we got to do got to do the digging for them. Hold on. And I'll, That's right. I'll, I'll do it while we start talking. So my uh, <coughs> Gary, my number five of these, uh, you know, honorable mentions is also a, a, one of those ones. I don't know if you saw it. Um, it's called Monsters of California. And so I just threw this one on. And, and for those listening, you can watch BlackBerry on AMC plus off of Prime Video or you can rent it from Prime. Um, but yeah, so Monsters of California was uh, is a movie uh, directed by Tom DeLonge that was uh, made by him and through his uh, his I guess his company To the Stars. Um, he'd been working on this movie for a while, and obviously, I know you and I are both huge Tom DeLonge fans. I don't know how big you are into yeah. his his uh, you know work outside of uh, Blink 182 and Angels, but he's been doing a lot of stuff with Aliens, and so one of the things he did was he ma- he made this movie. And it's kind of based on one of the books he wrote as well. Um, Or I guess he co wrote, but uh, it's really cool. So it's a movie about um, these three, you know, these kids in California that are, um, you know, skater punks. It's basically like, what if Blink 182 discovered, um, you know, cryptids? And so there's like, you know, in the beginning, they're investigating this haunted house. And then there's a moment where they're like investigating about, you know, a Bigfoot. And uh, I don't ever remember, and I'll click on it and see if it comes up, but the guy who, uh, he plays, um, uh, what is it, Steve, not Steve Stevens' brother in the show, uh, even
1: Steven?
0: Uh, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember what his name is. Is uh, Richard Kind. Yeah, Richard Kind. Yes, so he's like this, uh, you know, scientist who worked with one of the kids' fathers, and so he's kind of the one that's like telling them secrets and stuff. And then by the end of it, there's like a whole UFO thing too. Uh, it's just super cool. Like it, it's uh, you can tell it's kind of a low budget movie, but it's one of those things where again, it's like Tom DeLonge made this movie, put his heart into it. Um, the acting's pretty good, and uh, it was released on like vod for purchase i'm still waiting for it to come to physical but um i just i had, like pre-ordered it from his site and so we watched it one day and yeah it was really fun it, we we had watched that the same day we watched that you are not i think it was called you are not alone um or no one will save you if you yeah. saw that one with do, uh, it was like, a, like a double alien feature
1: okay yeah that's interesting i did not know he made that i mm-hmm. long active uh was that streaming somewhere
0: uh it's just streaming on like i had uh it was through um what's it called uh amazon like it was like like 14 bucks or something like that okay yeah all right what do you got
1: all right so next for me i will say past lives
0: Ooh, nice
1: on your list anywhere
0: uh no not did not make the list but i recognize its greatness
1: so yeah past lives is a really cool movie uh mostly korean it's about this uh girl who is you know it just starts with her kind of growing up in korea and she has this sort of this crush this friend slash boyfriend but then her family pretty much immediately moves them to uh i want i think they actually moved to canada first Mm -hmm, yeah and then from there she moves to new york but it's like 15, 20 years, maybe I think it's 12 years after they move. She reconnects with this friend on Facebook and they just have this really interesting relationship that develops. And then uh, there's another, basically time jump where they, they stop talking. And then uh, they, again, reconnect, I think 10 or so years after that. And it's, it's just a very interesting uh, it's not like a, it's not, it's sort of a romance movie. It's just a, a good human drama. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's a it's a really compelling and interesting story. The disconnects that between them and their cultures, and the connection that they still maintain. And there's this concept that they talk about. I forgot the word for it, but this concept of uh, the sort of fate that draws people together, and you know the the impact that that has had on them. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really cool movie. It's it's a I don't really know how else to describe it. You might have to help me out with that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you. I think you nailed it in terms of it it really is a romance movie. Um, there's not that much comedy. I mean, the comedy, I think, sometimes comes from some of the just, I don't know, little cutesy moments. But um, it is. It's kind of like a weirdly uplifting, depressing movie.
1: Yeah, uh, that's
0: fair. Yeah, well, it's. Just, and it, I think my favorite thing about that movie was just the idea of the – the the past lives idea obviously but then i loved the just how open the husband was to um like just letting her kind of figure this out um you know i thought yeah. that was really cool that he like trusted her and she you know obviously came back and you know but obviously was sad too and um i don't know like it was a it was a really good movie that was a, a plane flight movie for me
1: oh okay yeah we just watched that i think it's i don't know if it's streaming somewhere or uh if they rented it, but, uh, yeah, we threw that on the other day and really enjoyed it.
0: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. We loved it too. Um, so my, uh, my next one on here is dungeons and dragons honor among thieves. This is a, this was another, uh, did not perform to expectations film that I think the people who watched it felt that that was a huge shame because I think everyone who's seen it has really liked this movie. But um, it just—I don't know—didn't capture the public's attention. It certainly wasn't a, a Barbenheimer, but sure. uh, it was a really fun movie. And it was—it was one of the one of the first movies I think I saw in 23. Um, I think that came out like at the beginning of March. I, I'd saw with Harry, and I remember him and I. It was like the either the next day or that evening. We almost at the same time. We were like, I'm still thinking about this movie. Like yeah. it, it just—it had so many fun scenes in it, and it was it to me was like the the best Dungeons and Dragons movie I've ever seen um, Just from the sense there were so many moments where it felt like the game or it felt like, you know, somebody was rolling a die to try and get this thing done because, you know, there'd be certain instances where they'd get the, you know, oh, like when he's got the creates the portal thing out of the staff. It's like, oh, that's awesome. But then, you know, it's because he stepped on the thing to uh, <laughs> to destroy the bridge. So it's like there was all these moments where things either went really right or really wrong. Uh, and then obviously I thought the performances were great. I love Michelle Rodriguez. So it was cool to see her and Chris Pine carried that film. Uh, and you know, I, I think everyone else had a really good time making it too.
1: Yeah, it was that was a cool one. I know I was hesitant to watch it for a while. I think I just I wasn't that interested, and I think that's kind of testament to what you're saying. For some reason, I just was not interested in picking it up. But once we did watch it, I did really enjoy it too. And you know, pairing that with you know Baldur's Gate three this year, it's uh, it's cool to see all the Dungeons and Dragons stuff coming together. Because yeah, you're absolutely right. We obviously we played. For anybody listening we we had a dungeons and dragons campaign that we did together uh in covid times and uh yeah watching this movie having that background you you see all the different stuff whether it's just like the the races and classes that are built with these characters or sometimes it is actually certain enemies or characters and places that are references they they refer to baldur's gate yeah which is cool too and then yeah playing the game just ties that together as well and yeah, it was a good movie. I mm-hmm.
0: agree with you. Yeah, nice. Cool. All right, what do you got
1: next? All right, so next one for me, this would be... Uh, I got to go with The Holdovers.
0: Ooh, sure okay.
1: That one might be on your list. We'll it, see. It, it is. Uh, Holdovers is a cool Christmassy movie. Or, you know what? It, I, if this is in your top 10, do you want to reserve it and talk about it? Uh, no,
0: it's actually in my honorable... It's my not this honorable mention, but the next one. Okay,
1: well, I guess we can kind of do this disjointed, but yeah, I thought this was a great sort of Christmassy movie. Uh, it's a lot more serious than most Christmas movies, the way it's dealing with um, this sort of bad kid at a academy, a private, or what do you call it, a boarding school. Right, uh-huh. And, you know, Paul Giamatti is the teacher who gets stuck with the job of staying at the boarding school with the kids who don't go home for Christmas uh it's an interesting premise but it's shot really well it i can't remember who the director is
0: oh what's his name thomas pain
1: thomas pain yeah uh but he he nails this sort of late 70s early 80s aesthetic in a lot of ways the trailer nails that too Alexander which is really Payne. funny if you've thomas pain is
0: says the guy famous. who wrote common sense i think that's what
1: yeah that's why I knew that name. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah no, that that's sounds probably, right. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, like if you watch the trailer, it has like the old school deep guy voiceover, which is Right, funny. right. And then, you know, like the title sequence and everything at the beginning of the movie. I thought that was really cool that they did it that way because this is set in, I want to say, the early 80s, somewhere around there. Oh,
0: I thought it was like the late 60s. I don't think it's that old or early seventies.
1: Maybe we might have to settle and say seventies. I, it, yeah, it's somewhere in there, but yeah, again, the aesthetic is nailed really well. And it's, it's just a good feel good movie because of course, you know, it's this classic situation where you have Paul Giamatti, who's the old disgruntled guy. think of like the old man from up and then, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the kid who's just kind of, you know, he's kind of a bad boy, blah, blah, blah. He's just a little crazy. But then, you know, obviously, as the movie progresses, they realize they have more in common than they thought, so it, it it's not like there's anything too uh groundbreaking about the movie in that sense. It's a little predictable, but with a Christmas movie like that, I think it's fine. I think this could be a Christmas rotation movie for people, oh yeah, so yeah, I enjoyed it. It's good,
0: yeah, I definitely plan to watch it next christmas that's for sure i was I was bummed that it came out on peacock uh like a week after christmas i was like why wouldn't you release that like the week before christmas but um yeah no and and these honorable mentions obviously you know we don't really have an order to them i obviously did but I'll, I'll just talk about that one for now so um holdovers was uh yeah i loved it in the same way that you did it just it really captured that moment in time and you know this is the same guy that did i don't know if you saw sideways i think he did oh yeah yeah uh, he did so he he loves paul Giamatti clearly but um, I don't know. This was just a really good Paul Giamatti movie too. Um, I love the lazy eye bit. I thought that was really good. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, it just, we have those movies, I think in our library in some capacities, right. Of the like coming of age movie in the seventies. Yeah. But for some reason, this one just felt so, uh, evergreen, I guess you could say, I don't know. It just felt fresh at the same time that it just felt so comfortable. So I think that's why it, you know, works works worked so well.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, okay, so then uh the next uh well I'll just I'll go on this next one. But um, yeah, yeah, I've got Bo is Afraid.
1: Ooh, honorable mention. Honorable okay. Mention.
0: Yeah. So um this movie was insane. Um I was going to see it in theaters, but when I saw the runtime, I just I couldn't find any time. I mean, I I love a good long movie. I think people who listen to the show know that, and you do as well, uh, as long as the movie is right. And so, I don't know, sometimes I always get a little hesitant, especially this year. This year has been like the year of long films. And so uh, I just was like, man, I'll I'll get to it when I can. Uh, And so when it, of course, it came out on Paramount right after I canceled my Paramount subscription. But um, it was worth it because we're going to get, we got the Golden Globes on Paramount Plus tonight. Oh, wow. Uh, at, uh, it's going to be at, what is that? Seven central, I believe. Uh, and they're going to have the super bowl on Paramount plus. So, um, uh, there are okay. some good reasons to subscribe right now, at least, but Poe is afraid, uh, our Ari Aster. I don't think, I don't know if we've talked about this before, but, um, I, I would say he's definitely one of my new favorite directors. Um, there's this kind of, uh, murderers row on a 24 of filmmakers who, just keep putting out bangers and I almost see them as the new age sort of George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, when you got Robert Eggers and uh, Ari Aster. And uh, I feel like there's like two other ones, but um, yeah, so he did uh, what he did hereditary and he did um, midsummer midsummer. Yeah. Uh, And this one, I just, I don't know. He's, he swings for the fences in his movies. It clearly feels like, and for him to pull off an Odyssey movie like this uh, was really, really cool. I was uh, engaged almost the whole time. There were moments where I had to turn away because I was just like, I can't take this level of stress. Um, but that, uh, that opening uh, half of the film where he's just navigating that, there was a moment, especially at the very beginning, where I was just like, this movie is really cool. Like every single scene felt like there was life popping out of it. Yeah. Um, you know every little detail was made up which i thought was really cool like all the headlines on the tv or the newspaper or just that i think i knew i was gonna love the movie was when that guy with all the tattoos was in the middle of the street and he like he like starts sniffing the air or something and then looks ahead and grunts and and beau is down at the other end and Bo just like starts breaking out into a sprint yeah. and i was like I was like, what? I just kept saying out loud. I was audibly like, what is happening? Or like, what is about to happen? And then it would inevitably end up in an, oh my God. And uh, this, you know, just him. I I think I lost my mind when he left the book in the door and was oh, in yeah. the convenience store. And he just kept looking at the door as just hundreds of people uh, yeah. and then going, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I was I could not stop laughing. But it was such an anxiety-inducing movie. And then again, you know, I wasn't as huge a fan of you know once it started hitting into that middle point and it was like the whole play about his life. Again, I thought that that reminded me a lot of like uh, Seventh Seal. Um, there was there's a lot of really cool elements to this that again, it's like I'm recognizing that as great stuff. But it just for me, I'm like it's three hour film. Like I, I would yeah. have done fine without that stuff. But for this film. It made total sense. Like, I loved that he he basically has a journey through his mind, through different ages where he's at. We get to see those creepy flashbacks. Um, and then the movie just kind of ends in a strange spot, too. But again, like I said, it's all about the journey for this film. And so I, I really did enjoy that. I thought Joaquin Phoenix was great.
1: Yeah. Hey, I'm so, assuming
0: you have this on yours somewhere.
1: I do. I have it a lot higher, so I might wait and talk about it then, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, no, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. So yeah, what, what do you? What's your next honorable mention?
1: Okay, so my next one will be Godzilla minus one, which I think is going to be one up on your list.
0: Yes, I uh, yeah, and I'll save mine for then too. So go ahead.
1: So yeah, this for anybody who doesn't know, this is the Godzilla movie that came out this year, but it is a Japanese film. I didn't know that when I was first recommended to me by I think you. But I watched the trailer and I was like oh shoot cuz I I that that explained to me why I wasn't aware I wasn't aware that a Godzilla movie was coming out because if it were a big hollywood one of course that's a big event for people but man I liked this one more than most of those recent Godzilla movies yeah. I think you know it's set shortly after world war 2 which sort of drives home the the original inspiration and you know the fact that Godzilla is kind of a metaphor for nuclear bomb and all that stuff and i i think that was done really tastefully in the way they weave this godzilla story into actually an interesting story about uh this guy this kamikaze pilot who did not follow through and kill himself in the war mm-hmm. and him trying to grapple with survivor's guilt and eventually take on godzilla with just like all these other guys who just wanted to protect their home and yeah so it didn't feel as in a lot of ways it wasn't you know as grand and like world threatening as some of the other godzilla movies that we've seen but at the same time uh the way they showed godzilla's power and his powers was really probably my favorite representation of that in any godzilla movie so far Mm -hmm. so it was a great balance of the sort of human story with uh the The sci-fi aspect of godzilla and he was actually pretty scary because he had he had this sort of stiffness that the old school godzilla did Mm -hmm. and he had these really scary piercing eyes when he was swimming through the water and stuff oh yeah i was uh i was (laughs) disturbed yeah it was great movie i i'm excited to hear what you have to say down the line
0: yeah 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 um i'm glad you liked it though i'm glad it, it made the list um yeah yeah, it was uh, It's definitely a surprise. I, I knew – well, will talk about it when we get there. But, um, yes, I'm glad that movie exists. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we've got – this will be, what, our last honorable mention now. Um, mm-hmm. I've got The Nun 2. Ooh,
1: okay.
0: Yeah, and so this, this is purely in here because this movie was in my top ten for so long. And I was so happy that it was in my top ten. But then a movie bumped it out of the top ten. So mm-hmm. I was like, I still got to mention it because I think – I think – that uh, the Nun is my most watched film. Actually, no, it's uh, it's tied with uh, John Wick. I've seen both of those movies three times this year now.
1: Oh, you, Oh, I see. I thought you were talking uh, yeah, about yeah, in terms the first of, Nun yeah. and like mm-hmm. all time most watched.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> so, no, really.
1: definitely not all time. But it's su-
0: certainly surprising that I was able to see this movie three times this year. I wasn't expecting to. Uh, yeah. But this was a this was a you know you could call it a cinematic triumph for someone like me um i loved the first nun i don't think i don't know how many people loved that movie but i did i was obsessed with that movie i'm just i've always been obsessed with the nun um even before the conjuring 2 made uh the nun cool again um there was an even older nun that i don't remember if you remember when. what was that movie
1: called what was was called the nun was it
0: yeah it was called the nun um none your business but
1: uh yeah yeah i'll never (laughs) forget that movie
0: um, no, but yeah. So I've just, you know, we've always we grew up in a very religious household, and so just the idea of an evil nun was always, uh, always on my mind. But uh, to see them not only make a great nun movie, but to make a really great follow-up nun movie, um, you know, especially with these horror movies, a sequel could have gone really poorly, and uh, I really enjoyed this. I just I loved the whole concept of this movie, and especially seeing it a couple extra times really just hammered in that I liked this movie too. Cause to me I have, there's like, I have two different, I don't know about you. I have two different stress tests when it comes to, you know, is a movie something that is going to be in my top or um, just of all time, so to speak. And one of them is, you know, if I've watched it before and I liked it, like how does it hold up? Right. If I watch it again, but the true stress, stress test for me sometimes is how does it hold up? If I watch it a couple of times in a very short amount of time because I feel like you can say that you like a movie, but if you watched it, like, three days in a row, you'd probably be like, eh, you know, I don't know if I like it as much. And, I, again, I wasn't planning on it, but, like, Jack and I watched it on HBO, and then it was, like, three days later we were at your place and watched it again. And I, I was. I was happy to. And so that's when I was like, you know what? This is actually just a really great horror movie. Um, I love uh, Tessa Farmiga. Is, is she's one of my Hollywood crushes. So it's great to have her in there too. But the nun is genuinely scary in this movie. And there's some really terrifying awe inspiring moments.
1: Yeah. I I did like the nun too. I was not a fan of the first one really. Mm-hmm. So the second one was a big improvement for me. And uh, it, you know I didn't like it as much as you. It, I don't think it was in my top 10 at any point. But uh you know if i were to expand to like top 15 or 20 it would definitely be in there so i and i also haven't seen it as many times as you i i think i've seen it twice though which is still pretty good yeah that seems yeah. pretty
0: especially for it coming out in this year
1: as far as horror movies go it is a pretty good one
0: mm-hmm. so, and it did really well at the box office too yeah okay nice all right what's your last honorable mention
1: so last honorable mention for me is going to be Saltburn.
0: Ooh, nice okay
1: yeah, so that was a sort of late entry for me. I know Joey said, Joey really loved it. I think he gave it a 10 out of 10. I, I don't like it that much, but there's aspects of it that I think are really great. Uh, I think the cinematography is excellent. The score is really good. And the the acting is good on all fronts. It's, it's definitely an interesting movie and the characters are very interesting as well. Uh, I don't even, I'm not even gonna, what, what, do you know how to pronounce that guy's name? Barry?
0: Barry Keoghan.
1: Something something like that. I don't know if that's quite it, but uh, he does a great job. He always nails these characters who are just really creepy. And uh, Jacob Alordi is kind of the big deal these days after uh, Euphoria and Priscilla. He does a really good job too. And, you know, it's this... It seems like it's just kind of this British coming-of-age weirdo movie, but then it it takes a lot of dark turns and it's, it's, it's a really enjoyable watch. I, I, this was, you know, this is probably one of my lower rated honorable mentions, but I had to include it. Cause I do think it's really well made. And I think this is from the director of Promising Young Woman as well. Yep,
0: Emerald Fennell.
1: Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was just a really cool movie. And I feel like it's, it's had its own sort of cultural moment for people. Cause everybody's talking about this movie and how shocking it is. I don't find it that shocking, but I can understand why people feel that way. And I think it's because a lot of people are watching this, maybe more than would normally watch a movie in this kind of lane.
0: Well, and that's, but, that's something to be said too of this whole, um, I, f- I feel like movies have opportunities to have second lives because you, this is exactly what we were talking about from earlier of like, I don't think Saltburn did really well at the theaters, but then, you know, somebody makes a TikTok about something in the movie and suddenly everyone's trying to go see it. And the only way to yeah. see it, that was streaming. So it's like you just get this weird sort of dichotomy. I, I definitely liked that movie the least of all three of us boys. Um, and I, at least, and I watched it last night. Um, and I, I thought it was fine. I mean, it wasn't a bad movie. I just, it, it reminded me of The White Lotus and just that, um, you know, uh, opulence, I guess you could say, of uh but, yeah. but the performance of the performances were great. I second the the cinematography and score too. Um it just, you know, out of the amount of movies I saw yesterday, <laughs> I would yeah. say probably my oh, least. Oh yeah,
1: favorite. no. Understood. But um but yeah, yeah
0: cool. Okay, no awesome Saltburn. That's I'm glad glad we could at least get that on there. I can't remember if Emerald finnell has been nominated for anything yet for it, but I know she I think she kind of got snubbed with Promising Young Women. Or no 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 she won. I think she won. So, hey, she's uh, she's riding high. That's great. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, let's get we've made it to the top 10. Um, let's uh, let's dive in. Stevie, what do you have as your number 10 film of 2023?
1: Number 10 for me? I don't know if you've seen this one. Uh, Infinity Pool.
0: Ooh, no, I have not.
1: So Infinity Pool is a horror movie directed by Brandon Cronenberg. It's the son of David. Ooh. And. It stars Mia Goth, of course, sort of the queen of horror right now. And is it Alexander Skarsgård? Yes, yes. I I have trouble with my Skarsgårds. But this is a really, really interesting movie. Uh, The basic premise of it is, you know, these people that are, they're in some country, I don't know where in the world, it's not too specific. But they're basically at this resort and at one point they go off resort uh there's a hit and run accident in which they accidentally kill somebody some local and when they are caught they find out that you know the police take them in interview them and all this stuff and they explain to them that they have a sort of program for tourists that you know they they offer because they want to keep tourism Uh, a big thing when somebody comes and commits crimes like these, it's like almost every crime that's committed in the country, the punishment is death, like the death penalty, but uh, they give tourists like that an option to basically clone themselves and they have to watch their clone get killed. And that to me, that whole setup is just so unique and so interesting. And the way it's executed is really interesting. And the movie just takes, Mm -hmm. It veers into a lot of really strange, sort of psychedelic stuff because it's obviously this really bizarre mind-altering thing to have to watch yourself die. Um, and of course, of course, it's cooked up from some Cronenberg. That can't come as a surprise. Oh yeah, but, exactly. Yeah, I really, I really love that one. Probably my favorite horror movie of the year. I don't think there's any higher. Um unless you count Bo is Afraid as a horror movie, which it kind of is. In moments
0: it certainly is.
1: But yeah, Infinity Pool. Definitely check that one out.
0: Yeah. That's on Hulu, I think, right?
1: Uh it might be at this point. Yeah. I, I'm yeah. not sure.
0: Um I, Mia Goth did good in it too.
1: Oh yeah, always. She's okay.
0: great. Nice, nice. Yeah, no, I'll I'll uh see if I can find that. Hulu doesn't ever have a lot, but when it does, it certainly has some good stuff on there. Yeah. Um, OK, well, my number 10, uh, you might I don't think I don't think you've seen this. So I think it's very the same as yours. Uh, the Flash. Uh, OK, uh, this is my let's see if I can spoil it. Yeah. My highest rated DC film of the year. Um, Flash was probably one of my favorites of the EU. All of the, you know, the movies that have been released the past few years. Uh, I loved it. I the whole time travel aspect, I'm a sucker for time travel stories, but they had it um, they had it ingrained with some very um, emotional sort of family resonances with it, which I thought was really cool. The action was great getting to see the flash be super fast and just you know see the flash being the flash, I thought was what really sold it to great soundtrack. Um, it's a really funny movie too. Um, a lot of people didn't like it. Uh, and a lot of people didn't like it because they said the CGI was bad but it was like purposefully that way and so I I kind of I enjoyed that a lot just because I understood that I mean even I didn't even know that before seeing it and I still liked the CGI because I got that it's like oh you know this is a fictional fantasy world so this thing you know it it looks cartoonish that's the whole point Um, but again a lot of people need something to tear down and the DC universe has been that for a lot of people for a long time and especially now that it's being reset I think people took this year as as like a year to throw the tomatoes, um, just at at all of yeah. it. But it was fine. I mean, like I said, I, I it's fine from the sense of like they can do that if they want to, because I still got this movie, and I yeah. uh, like I said, I really I really enjoyed it. I had a great time.
1: Yeah, you are correct that I have not seen it, and <laughs> I, uh, I I saw a clip of I think it was kind of what you're saying, the CGI of a scene of him running. I saw a clip of that that was shown on Twitter, and people were clowning it. But I thought it looked really cool, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this maybe this is a movie I'd have to check out. But, uh, yeah, have not yet, have not gotten yeah. to it just yet.
0: Hey, well, it uh, it'll be on HBO until they decide to remove it permanently.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> whatever knows, that. Who knows is. when that is? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. What do you got for number nine? All right, number nine for me. Uh, I again, this might not not sure if you've seen this one either but uh the creator did you see oh the yes
0: i have seen this yes okay
1: yeah i really i really enjoyed the creator i the one thing i want to talk about first that i did not enjoy that is that it was constantly marketed as from the director of rogue one oh, uh, yeah. i am a notorious rogue one hater and i think you know alex i think you were ex- like surprised and expecting me to hate this movie because of that but um it, it's my problem with that movie is not about the direction it's just the movie itself and the story but anyway talking about the creator a uh, really interesting sci-fi movie i love just any sort of one-off sci-fi movie like this is fun just yeah. to kind of see the world that somebody creates with the story and you know this one's very focused on uh ai and robotics and these people that i mean they're basically robots and there's this big fallout where uh robots supposedly attack the humans and they're essentially nuked or they no the robots i think essentially nuke california at least that's the official story and so they're kind of decommissioned but Uh of course we find out that that was the u.s government that actually did that because they thought the robots were becoming too advanced i think um but yeah john david washington is the lead and uh he's sort of this guy he's like an undercover agent that's trying to locate the messiah for these robots who's kind of their creator but like their spiritual leader essentially their god and yeah you know in the process there's there's a child that's born of it's it's like a child born as like a part android which is kind of bizarre mm-hmm. um but yeah that the child is essentially going to be the salvation for the robots and hopefully bridge the gap and you know, undo all this stuff. It's just a really, it's a really cool movie. There's a lot of interesting sci-fi components, the different CGI and set design stuff is really cool too. I love, you know, there's some tanks in it that are really awesome. And this one robot oh, that yeah. will, will just like kind of run and explode itself. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. There's just, I mean, as far as the sci-fi movie goes, I, all those elements I enjoyed. I feel like this movie was not, not all that well received, but, it was a great one to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, it, it wasn't. Um, again, like many movies out there, but this this was one, unfortunately, even when I saw the trailer, I was like, I, I could tell the fate of this movie. Um, I just, I feel like it's very, very hard to get away with a movie of that budget, of like, you know, brand new lore IP in that sense in this day and age, yeah. um, which is sad. But again, I think, you know, there's some things in my eyes that held that movie back a little bit. Um, you know, and being maybe a little basic in some moments, but I think it had a ton of potential and I hats off to Gavin. It was his name, Gavin,
1: uh, uh Gareth Edwards, I Gareth
0: think. Edwards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but hats off to him for, for trying because I, I heard a lot of people say that too, that it was like, Oh, you know, the whole idea behind rogue one was, you know, it's not about the story. It's just, did you like the way that movie was made? And I did, I liked that movie a lot, but, um, yeah, so it didn't make my list just for you know some of those reasons. But same thing. I, I was bummed just because, again, it's like we were really – I'm always looking for some really new, some new wins at the cinema. and um, But I will say this. When I was done seeing it, I was like – I had said to myself that you were going to like this movie because um, I don't remember if we had talked about it and not just because it was one of those where it's like, oh, you know, if everyone doesn't like it, you're probably going to like it. I think it was be- because – I thought you wouldn't because of Gareth Edwards, but I was like, Oh no, you're actually probably going to like this because it's, I I know you in that sense of the like sci-fi type movies like that, that are one-offs. They don't really relate to anything. That's your bread and butter because it's the exact opposite of a franchise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah. I like, I I think it's fun to just see what kind of world can be created with just one movie like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, cool. So that, that was your number eight, right?
1: No, that's number nine.
0: Oh, number nine. Sorry, sorry, my number nine. Yeah. Um, so yeah, my number nine is Poor Things.
1: Ooh, wow, okay. It's
0: the the film that bumped the Nun. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that uh, it was an awesome movie though. This I I really enjoyed this one. Um, there were moments where I thought it was a little long, but I love again this this felt like it it reminded me I was afraid in in the sense of it being a uh, an Odyssey movie of uh, you know kind of her self discovery of what it means to be not just to be a woman but to be human too Uh, and so I thought that was great I mean obviously the you know the cinematography the black and white versus the color the angles there's so much to love about this film performances I thought were great this was a side of Mark Ruffalo that I haven't seen in either a really long time or if ever um, which was really cool to see Emma Stone was you know classic Emma Stone in my eyes I think she did an awesome job um, and it was funny because I actually I don't know about if you saw Maestro, but um, I watched the actors is. on actors video. That was Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper. And apparently they're like really good friends. Um, but they were like talking about some of the things that were very similar on their movies. And uh, I noticed it. I forgot what they said, but I noticed it because I'd watched Maestro like I think the day before I went and saw poor things. But um, but I really liked it. And, you know, I'm not ai haven't been a huge fan I have thought his movies are good, Yorgos, Lanthimos, yeah. um, but none of them were like, oh, these are, you know, I love this movie. This is probably the first of his that I've really loved. Um, yeah. The others I just thought were good. But, um, but yeah, no, so that's my number nine.
1: Okay, and I, uh, this is another one where I think I'm going to reserve my okay. comment until later because, yeah, I, this one is a lot higher on the list for me. Yeah,
0: sure, sure. Yeah, no, save that comment. All right, what do you have at number nine?
1: Uh, well, nine was created for me. Oh, right, right, right. So right. Number eight. Number eight for me is going to be Barbie. Ooh. Uh, I'm sure Barbie's on your list too. Uh, Barbie was, like, like we said, it was a great cultural event movie. I am surprised to be saying that about a Barbie movie. I wasn't really expecting to like it necessarily, but there's a lot going for it. You know, it's written and directed by Greta Gerwig and also uh, Noah Baumbach on writing as well so you know that there's a solid core there Mm -hmm. they make great movies and then the cast is obviously really good too with margot robbie and ryan gosling at the at the helm uh it's 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 a really fun movie i think it's very tongue-in-cheek and poking fun of what barbie represents in Mm -hmm, you know for good and bad um and the uh yeah, the the human aspect of it is really cool. They obviously they go from Barbie world to the real world, and sort of discovering how you know the dramatic differences between those two things is really cool to see. And then you know Margot Robbie ultimately opting to live in the real world instead because the sort of utopia that they're living in is unsustainable. And I I thought that was really cool too, especially at the beginning when she's just kind of it's like a glitch in the matrix kind of scenario where suddenly she's feeling sad and doesn't know why and everyone's mm-hmm. they they don't even comprehend what that feeling is. And then of course all the stuff with Ryan Gosling and the Kens is really funny. Uh we, you talked about how there's I, I feel like we we don't have that many comedy movies that are out. I feel like this one this one did really well on the comedy. It did. it's cool to see in a movie that big, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I just about everything about this one was well done. Obviously set design, costumes and everything was really spot on. And yeah, I had a lot more fun with it than I expected to.
0: Yeah, I think uh, I think a majority of Americans would agree with you on that just based on the box office for the movie. Yeah, I think uh, I think, you know, if a movie isn't good, it's not going to make that much mo- money. You know, you would have gotten a giant opening weekend for the Barbenheimer experience, but then reviews would have tanked it for the following week Sure. Um, and you didn't see that at all. So that's uh, that's great. Awesome. Yes, I uh, Barbie's on my list. I'll talk about it a little later, but. Ooh, and we'll see how this goes. Uh, but in the spirit of number eight being Barbenheimer, uh, my number eight is Oppenheimer.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: Yeah, uh, and I'm assuming not as high on our yes, not as high on my list as it is on your list. But Correct. um, I still really liked this movie. Uh, I had moments during the year where I struggled to even put Oppenheimer on my top ten. Um, you know, we had had this conversation about it. It's a it's a really great movie. But I know when, when uh, Todd and I got out of it, we had kind of said to each other, like, it's one of those movies. I don't know how often I would see it, but I will say since saying that I've wanted to see it again. And yeah. uh, I've not had a chance to see it again, so I don't know if this movie would have go end up going higher or lower on the list. That's why you know we we love talking about these rankings at the end of the year, but you know these can always change with time or you know yeah, more for good sure. watches But um, I just you know from my one watch, I thought it was really good. It certainly is a long movie, but it did not feel long when we were in the theater. Um, you know, it flew by. The black and white was cool. There's just some pieces of it that I just I don't know. Like when it comes to The emotional investment I have in the film, um, I didn't have as much of that, you know, as some of these other films, uh, and then again, you know, one of the things with the list is rewatchability. So, you know, I, I, again, I haven't seen it another time I would like to, um, but that's why it's a little higher on the list in that regard, um, or I guess you could say lower depending, but, um. I wanted to at least include it because it was, you know, I w- love Christopher Nolan, he one of my favorite directors. So it was cool to see him do something. And I was glad to, to see Cillian, sorry, Killian Murphy, um, you know, have a lead role, especially in yeah. Nolan film. So that was cool.
1: Yeah, you're right that I have this one higher. Uh, <laughs> we'll definitely talk about it more then. But <laughs> I, I am in the same boat where I, I, I mean, I bought this almost immediately when it came out because I knew I needed to see it again. Uh, but wow. I still have only wa- I have not yet had the the rewatch pleasure because obviously mm-hmm. it is a long movie and I got to make time for it. But yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get into it a little bit later.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, sounds good. All right, what do you got for number seven?
1: So number seven for me is the Iron Claw. Did
0: you see this? Oh no, no, this one just came out.
1: Yeah. So the Iron Claw is the wrestling biopic biopic about uh, the Von Erich family, and as much as I I'm a bit of a wrestling head. I love, uh, I've always been into wrestling video games more so than actually watching it. But, uh, I feel relatively tapped into, you know, the lore and, you know, all the classic wrestlers from like the seventies and eighties, but I was not really aware of the Von Erichs and, uh, I'm surprised that that's the case. Obviously there are other figures that are mentioned and appear in the film, like, uh, Ric Flair, for example, there's a, a brief Ric Flair appearance. And I know Ric Flair, of course, but uh, yeah, I wasn't aware of the Von and I think the reason that that's the case, at least is kind of explained through this movie, because the, you know, we, we hear early on that there's this curse in the family that, you know, we think about it and it's not, maybe not the most serious thing, but as the movie unfolds, maybe that curse is real because uh, it's a family of a bunch of brothers. I want to say four or five, and maybe in real life, it was six and the the true story in real life is that of those five or six brothers, uh, only one of them is still alive. Uh, the rest of them died. A couple of them tragically, and a few of them committed suicide. And uh, even in this movie, I think they had to do one less brother, just because if wow. they had the other one in there, it would have been almost unbelievable and probably too sad. I think that was a decision the director made. Um, so some people were maybe a little upset about that, but man it is a truly truly devastating movie uh zach efron does a great job as does jeremy allen white he's had a huge moment the last couple of years with there yeah. uh and then their dad is played by i don't know the name of the actor but he was uh one of the fbi agents in mindhunter he does a great job too just kind of representing the macho stoicism that you know exists in wrestling and he was constantly pushing his children in different ways and basically ranking his sons so there's a lot of you know brutal upbringing with them and you you kind of oh sibling
0: rankings confirm, yeah Yeah.
1: but and you you kind of understand why these guys were uh i mean they were obviously very physically strong but i think mentally fragile and you know you see that in the movie it's it's sad because like zach efron will or his character uh he'll have to he'll go to the parents and be like, Hey, you know, could you talk to so-and-so or could you tell dad to stop being so hard on so-and-so? And And it's like the response from the parents is like, you guys sort that out on your own. Like you deal with that yourselves. And I think it, you know, it's a good movie to kind of remind you that with mental health issues like that, you shouldn't be dealing with it yourself. You should be, you know, reaching out to the people who love you and all that stuff. And it's just, I mean, it's a really, really touching movie, very sad. And um the love that these brothers had for each other was very evident um aside from all the sadness though too the soundtrack is really good because it's oh, late nice. 70s it you know it feels in the same era as like dazed and confused and there's a lot of great mm. i know i know you would love the music in it too there's nice. a really great like actual needle drop record moment with uh tom sawyer from rush
0: Ooh, awesome.
1: nice but yeah if you're Interested in wrestling at all, even if you aren't it's a it's a really really tragic and interesting story, and it's a true story of this wrestling family that just had all, every tragedy imagined will happen to them. so really love that one.
0: Yeah, you uh, you know me, I'm a huge wrestling head, Steve. You have
1: Especially you have become a wrestling head, yeah.
0: The uh, I haven't had a chance to watch anything recently, but um, you know, I'm always down for a good show, if you know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> but uh, no, that's awesome because yeah, I saw the, um, I saw a trailer for that movie. I mean, I'm I've been on a Jeremy Allen White kick recently, so uh, you know, any chance we can get that plus Zach Efron? That's a a great combo. I just I was like, man, they look like cavemen. Yeah. And uh, they look like the the Nacho Libre caveman. at some point. yeah,
1: well uh, yeah because that's that era of wrestling you know all these guys had long hair and stuff and uh, oh Zach yeah. Efron Zach Ephron looks kind of weird I think he had some sort of facial reconstruction that I don't I don't think it was just for the movie but he looks he just looks kind of strange now but he he fits this role really well as does Jeremy Allen White and I was just watching an interview about you know he's a short guy he's like five seven or something and i don't know if he that's like well he described himself or they described him as a short <laughs> king at five seven and obviously he's portraying wrestlers who are probably the guy carry Von eric that he's portraying is probably maybe even a foot taller than him. so um he struggled with that a little bit but you know they they all did a really great job just demonstrating the the power the physicality that wrestling requires
0: nice Nice. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing that. I don't know when I'll get a chance to or if it uh, decides to, you know, wait to come to streaming. We'll have to see how that plays out. But um, that's awesome. Okay. Cool. Uh, all right. My number seven I've got uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. Mm, okay. Uh, so this uh, rewatched this yesterday and uh, secured its spot on the list for sure. Uh, you haven't seen this yet, have you?
1: I have not. No. This was on my list of. Movies to watch. I didn't quite get to it yet, though.
0: Yeah. um So I uh, about a minute into the movie, I was like, you know what? Uh, and on animation style alone, this movie is on this list because the, the yeah. animation of this movie. I had moments even on this rewatch where I was like, is it, do I like it better than Spider versus animation? Because there's just something about it that is so cool and so you know frenetic and. there's always something going on in every scene, um, through little scribbles and stuff like that. But the story itself is also really cool. And the dialogue is really funny, very funny movie. Um, but then also what I really liked about this is that the turtles themselves are like good, um, fighters at the very beginning of the movie, even though the film takes place with them actually being teenagers, which I think a lot of people said they appreciated because I think a lot of the films, they aren't teenagers, but, um, so they're like teenagers, but they're also really good at fighting. And this talk about needle drops, Stevie. This this movie is like just a splattering of '90s hip hop, mm. and uh, you know maybe even some early 2000s hip hop as well. Okay. Uh, it's just it's cool. It's it's street level. Um, the the voices for the four turtles are awesome, and then um, Jackie Chan is the voice of the rat. That's right. Uh, which he does a great job, too. There's uh, there's some really funny moments with him that uh, <laughs> I was laughing at last night again. Uh, but no. Yeah. So I like I said, I'm I'm always I've always been a huge animation fan. Um, but this one just it certainly exceeded my expectations because I've never been a huge Turtles fan. I've I enjoyed the Turtles as a concept, but like yeah. I never really got into their movies. I, so I liked the recent ones with Megan Fox. Um, if I remember right, I, I, think I even saw the second one in theaters, but, yeah. uh, like I've never been a fan of the old turtles. They always creeped me out as a kid. They're, you know, really weird, but, um, this is certainly my favorite turtles movie now for sure.
1: Very good to hear. Yeah. And to hear you compare it to, uh, the spider verse movie too. Uh, I definitely have to check it out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's only like an hour and 35 minutes or something like that. It's super short. So, okay. uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. And Ice Cube's in it, too. So, uh, um, yeah, and he plays a really funny role as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll uh, have to, but okay, all right. I'll have to
0: number, uh, what was that? Sorry? I
1: was, uh, no, I just saying I'll ha- once I watch it, I'll have to let you know what I think. Oh, so.
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, well, what do you have for your number six?
1: Number six for me is The Boy and the Heron.
0: Ooh, nice.
1: That, I'm not sure if you saw this one. I did, uh, I did. Oh, I got did? Okay. Theaters, yep. This is a... Uh, The latest from miyazaki um i think people are saying this is going to be his last movie i don't know if that's true we know i think he said the wind
0: rises was going to be his last movie yeah
1: but uh this one i think it definitely feels like a last movie because yeah uh it the story kind of seems to represent you know it's this boy who's you know it there's all the classic stuff about these miyazaki movies just the sort of absurdity and the strangeness of all the different things going on. But uh, essentially, he is, this boy is discovering this sort of alternate reality, this other universe that's created by his great uncle. And uh, there's, you know, it's like he comes to a point where he's sort of asked if he wants to rule it and uh, basically decides not to and uh, goes back to the real world uh, but, you know, inside that space is also uh, his mom as a child. Because mm-hmm. Early in the movie, his mom passes away in a fire. And, you know, when he's in this other world, it's like the childhood version of his mom is also in that world. Because yeah. It's sort of outside of time and space. And I, the metaphysical aspect of all that was just really cool to me. Oh, and yeah, yeah. I'm a fan, obviously, of Miyazaki movies. This is probably in my top three or five or something like that. Wow. And yeah, i it sounds like the movie is just kind of Miyazaki's way of uh tying a bow on the the sort of worlds that he creates. Because obviously, I think the the great uncle represents him, and maybe the maybe the boy is his son. I, th- I feel like maybe his son is trying to. I think it's his the movies, Something like that. Yeah. So that might be the case. um And maybe he's telling his grandson not to do that. <laughs> I don't know, not to tarnish his legacy or something. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what the deal is there, but uh, it's a very cool movie to take in with the knowledge that he's as old as he is and he's created all the worlds that he has for people. And yeah, it's I am excited to watch that one again at some point too, because um, there's just a lot to take in and it's it can be hard to understand on one watch and maybe I'll never understand everything fully, but uh, I just love the creativity. I love how imaginative, imaginative it is. And like you were saying, uh, I think we're both fans of animated movies like this that uh, enable you to sort of create in ways that traditional filmmaking you can't.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think I'd seen in an interview or whatever it was, essentially it was that he, he made this movie to, to essentially explain to his grandson to prepare him for his death is essentially yeah. what he did for it, which, and I watching the movie with that on my mind, uh, certainly improved my viewing of the movie as well. I, I don't think I enjoyed it as much as you did, but I certainly enjoyed it. So like I, it was the whole him going and seeing his young, the young version of his mom was really cool.
1: Yeah.
0: And, uh, I hats off to Robert Pattinson because he was unrecognizable.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, tremendous job voice acting. I think it's, it's really funny that I, I, th- feel like people have made this comparison, but Chris Pratt keeps getting all the work as a voice actor. It's on, it's honestly comical how many of these oh, I know. iconic characters are giving to Chris Pratt because he's just the most generic voice. And then Robert Pattinson in a movie like this, I mean, he is going all out. It is incredible, incredible voice acting from him.
0: Yeah, there there wasn't a single moment that I, because I, I knew it was him and I kept going like, yeah. wait, like I can't tell. I couldn't tell that it was him.
1: Yeah, he 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 went crazy with it.
0: Yeah, he, he certainly did. Uh, okay, great. Awesome. All right, my number six is The Marvels. Mm, okay. So here here it is, finally, pu- publicly revealed on my the top of my list. It's my top MCU movie for the year, though, in my opinion, it was a, it was a tough year for the MCU, so I don't think that was that hard of a bar to jump. But um, I loved this movie, and I, I think the reason I have it higher than most people probably would is because... Um, I'm a huge fan of all three of the leads in these movies, both as actors and as their comic book characters. Um, certainly, I kept Marvel as one of my favorites, and Miss Marvel has become one of my favorites over the years as well. Not as big on Monica um, prior to kind of seeing her in the MCU, but Tiana Paris, I'm a huge fan of. And so um, I've kind of gotten to know Monica a little more as well. but I just I, the movie is fun. Um, I had a great time the entire way through. It honestly felt like an Avengers movie with the way that they teamed up and the the world hopping and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but then it also had some really good sort of emotional beats. There's a really nice family aspect to it as well. And um, trying to think there was one other thing. Oh, I mean, the, the post-credit scenes for this are, are better than some of the post-credits we've gotten in like the last three years. So um, really setting up some interesting things for the future, I think. Um, but also just standing as its own, like it's just, I don't know, I thought it was a really awesome film and something that I went and saw twice in theaters and I, you know, unfortunately it got pulled out of the theaters too soon. Um, I haven't gotten to see it again, but I am i am itching to watch this movie as soon as it comes on Disney+. Mm, okay, okay. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I, I'll, I'll just, I mean it didn't interest me i don't feel as invested in those characters
0: yeah i don't think you would find a lot you may not enjoy the movie at all honestly yeah
1: but i'm glad to hear you did and i'm sure you're not the only one i mean obviously it maybe didn't do so well but that's that's never the full story you know
0: yeah and my only fear and i I spent quite a few episodes talking about this but my only fear with all of that was just that they don't continue the stories of these characters That they, you know, they treat the box office performance as the public opinion of these characters, which I don't think they will, especially once it's released. But it's just very strange because by now I would have had the opportunity to pre-order the Blu-ray of this movie, and I still don't know. We don't know when it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. So very, we're at this tipping point too with physical media.
1: Yeah, uh, you know,
0: Best Buy is stopped is going to stop doing physical media, and so I'm I'm, I've been trying to be very. I've watched the
1: I've watched the movie section shrink at Target. In yep. favor of uh, vinyl, which is kind of surprising because yeah, especially like too, yeah, we but...
0: love seeing all those Adele vinyls out there, don't we? Yeah,
1: oh god, but yeah, I go in there looking for movies, and it's like, oh, they've only got the the one little shelf at this point.
0: hmm Yeah, it's sad, but um, but yeah, I mean, as long as long as I can get a copy of it somewhere, I'll be happy. But yeah, I'm not holding my breath that there'll be a steel book this time around. Yeah. Uh, okay, all right. Uh, what is your number five? We're in the top five.
1: So number five for me is gonna be Asteroid City. Ooh, Wes Anderson. Uh, the latest from Wes, obviously, latest and greatest. He's a uh, one of my favorite directors. I think you might feel the same way. Oh yeah. He uh, Makes a lot of great classic movies. Such a distinct style. Yeah. And this one is set in uh, I don't know time what timeline where it is. If it's like 60s maybe, but it's in this little place called asteroid city that is essentially a rest stop town. Um, And Jason Schwartzman and his family are, there's a bunch of families that are going there for some scientific thing for the kids. They've all sort of made, made these scientific projects. And it's like a, I don't know if it's like a little astronomy club or something, but it's sort of sponsored by the government. And, you know, the kids are all meeting there for this big event. And, I don't know how much I want to say if I want to spoil things about what happens in this movie. But, (laughs) um, the other thing too, is the whole movie is kind of framed as a play within a movie, which is a layer that I think is a little confusing. And uh, it, it would be the thing that prevents this movie from ranking higher on the list for me. But, you know, leaving that aside, you know, all the technical stuff as usual from Wes Anderson is phenomenal. Uh, so many different actors who all do a great job. The script is sharp as ever. And yeah, this is another one that I I actually did pick it up. I have not yet re-watched it, but I really loved it. And uh the colors really pop. It's just it's a very delightful movie. Yes. I, I throw that out there. Um I'm just excited to watch it again because with any Wes Anderson movie, there's so many little details that you can't really pick up on just one watch because right of just how meticulous he is with yeah with creating these worlds so um but yeah it's it's funny it's heartfelt at times uh yeah that i mean it's par for the course for wes anderson and he's just a guy that basically anytime he anytime he makes a movie i'm gonna love it so this one's no exception
0: yeah yeah gladly i'm glad to hear that too because i know you loved french dispatch and uh, i wasn't as high on the hog for that one but um, I did love. Um, I will say, uh, Asteroid City was three spaces away from my my honorable mention. So, Ooh, okay. uh, I really liked that movie a lot, and and okay. Lisa loved that movie a lot too. She was there's a lot of cool meanings in that movie. I think, especially with the idea of the the play within the movie too, yeah. of just you know a lot of people falling into the parts that they play in their own lives. Um, but that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad I made it on your list. Yeah, uh, Man, I just, you've only got four left, and I'm I'm trying to think of what you haven't shared. Okay, okay, okay. I know what two of them are. Yeah. <coughs> maybe three of them. So it'll be curious to see what that's for. Ooh, maybe four of them.
1: Um, you might know what they are, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. All right, my number five is Across the Spider-Verse.
1: Oh, okay, okay. So um,
0: I love this movie. Um, this was an awesome movie in theater. Probably one of my top viewing experiences this year in theaters was seeing this one.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. And then I watched it again when it came on Netflix, uh, and I still really enjoyed it. I don't think I enjoyed – there's pieces of it that I liked more than the first movie. But overall, I still think I liked the first movie more, and that's because it was a full movie, a full story. And I know I've been seeing a lot of discourse around this recently and saying that, well, this is – it's technically The Empire Strikes Back from the sense that – that movie had the same type of ending. There was not a resolution at the end of Empire. But there's just something about this one with the way that they ended it that felt incomplete. And, you know, it didn't feel that way with Empire. And so I, it's like, you can make the comparisons all you want, but though that last probably 15 minutes of the movie just didn't really do it for me. And I was, I was on such an emotional rush to... It was almost up until the moment of, you know, when he tells the other world's mom you know his secret and then it was like oh it's not and i was like oh man and, and that's when i started thinking like well how much of this movie is left like <laughs> this is kind of a big deal uh, and then obviously you know we get the cliffhanger but um you put that aside and the animation of this you know this movie felt like a spider gwen movie and uh, i loved that aspect of it too because we got miles in the last one obviously he's in this one but it was cool to see it kind of shift that perspective to her and to so closely mimic the art of her comic books uh, was really cool and then obviously just to see all of the different peter parkers from you know everywhere in the in the multiverse was great too Um, we got a lot of hints to possibly live action future possibilities um, which was great uh, but yeah, it just, it was, uh, again, an amazing animated movie. I hope it gets some good accolades um, this year in the the award season. We'll see tonight with the Golden Globes if it gets honored at all.
1: There you go, yeah. Yeah, I I really, I enjoyed this movie, but similarly, I did not enjoy it as much as the first. I think part of that might have been the animation. I feel like they were leaning on it so heavily in this movie that it was almost distracting, uh, just in terms of how much they were trying to dazzle with the animation. Right. That's uh but That's again i think the bigger issue for me was that it's just a part one and it's it's funny that you bring up empire strikes back because i had never it had never occurred to me that that was an incomplete movie and i still don't think it is and i think part of the difference is you know with a lot of these movies today whether it's you know this one or uh like the mission impossible or dune um i can't remember exactly if this movie or if dune at the end hit you with like a to be continued or something i'm pretty sure this one did but whether they did or not it's like culturally we we all kind of went in knowing that there was a second movie that it was basically a part one of two right like mission impossible was labeled that way Mm -hmm. and so that to me destroys the experience and to you know to give credit to marvel i know it's a cold day in hell when i do that but yeah hang on a minute uh, let me turn the heat up infinity war infinity war was not built that way at all we didn't know what to expect from infinity war and that ended with a cliffhanger but was very much a complete movie yes like exactly I, as much as i i wasn't really a huge fan of that movie for other reasons but i think the way that they handled that and the sort of buzz that created was excellent without it feeling incomplete yeah and exactly this one, by contrast, does feel incomplete to me. So it knocks it down a, a point or so. But it's still a great movie. And obviously, the, the animation is still impressive. But yeah. it did not hit the high that the first one did for me.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, all right, well, what is your top number four?
1: Number four for me is a movie that you have not talked about either. So I'm guessing it's on your list still. But we'll see. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon from Martin Ooh. Scorsese um you you talked about the year of long movies i realize looking up here um four of my top or three of my top four movies are three hours long (laughs) yeah Um, killers of flower moon is what it's like almost three and a half yeah but uh scorsese is adapting the the book of the same name it's about uh the osage indians who were at a point you know one of the wealthiest people Per capita in the world because of uh, the oil that was under their allotted land in the reservation and the movies just kind of showcasing the ways in which the rest of america manipulated them and you had all these these white people that infiltrated uh trying to marry into the families and then kill people off so that they could inherit that money or whether it was you know business owners who were just charging exorbitant rates and trying to you know milk that money from these people because you know it's 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 more money more problems we've we've heard that a million times but it it you see that uh very well illustrated here but then um, you know amid all that he also focuses on uh one particular family in the Osage tribe and uh Leonardo DiCaprio and his his uncle who's played by uh Robert De Niro they're sort of at doing that to this one family and it also Gets into sort of the early years of the FBI in investigating this, and uh, there's just a lot of a lot of care that was poured into this movie by Scorsese. He's always been somebody to champion unsung voices. Um, you know, he's he's a big guy with you know film restoration and putting a spotlight on these international movies. Uh, he, I don't think he talks about that as much, but he he I know he's played a big role in that. And I feel like this movie meant a lot to him, too, because it was a chance to tell this story that outside of having read that book, nobody really knows about this stuff. When it comes to Native Americans in this country, nobody really teaches. I mean, we're aware of the big things, maybe like the Trail of Tears, but there's so, so many different ways that, you know, Americans in our country have uh, sort of oppressed oppressed and decimated uh, these populations of people. And uh, it's a horrible movie. In that sense because i mean it's depicting reality but the characters are evil and i think it's it's funny with scorsese for some reason people forget that he can depict these evil characters and not be endorsing their behavior um like with wolf of wall street a lot of people misinterpret that as like pro jordan Belfort, which it definitely is not and the same is with this movie even though leonardo dicaprio is the lead character uh, his character is an idiot and uh, if he's not evil, he's just an even bigger idiot. Like, he's not a good guy. Robert De Niro is categorically evil. Like, there's no point in which you're rooting for those guys. You're rooting for uh, Lily Gladstone's character. And Lily Gladstone, amazing performance. I think she should be up for awards, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be shocked if she's not nominated for an Oscar. Personally, I, I feel like I would give it to her. I don't know if that's lead or supporting actress, but uh, she just handles this stuff really well in the movie and just kind of portraying you know why someone in that situation might uh be okay and not really fully realize what's going on and you know she's a victim and uh you know Ernest kind of seems like he does love her but at the same time is doing the bidding of his uncle which takes precedent over that relationship it's it's very bizarre it's a very interesting story for anybody who hasn't seen it um, yeah it is it is worth the 3 hours
0: Three and a half. And it uh, it will be on Apple if you have an Apple subscription. I think on the 12th is when it comes to Apple. Um, Yeah, I think so. That'd be next this Friday. Um, Yeah. And and this movie is on my list. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about the only only other thing I'll say about it is that. You know, I read the book after watching the movie. I went and bought the book and it was one of my faster reads for sure. It was an incredible book. Um, But the one thing that the author was pointing out towards the end of it was like, you know, obviously he went into this rabbit hole of, um, you know, this family. But he said he found many other instances of like certain people who um, were the guardians of multiple Osage people. But like all of those Osage at one point or another died and yeah. so there's like there was so he was saying there are other people that were doing this exact same thing it's just that this one was like the most egregious of them all at least that they oh, have yeah. the evidence for
1: Well, you kind of see it in the movie too that this kind of stuff is happening in the background right like yeah. that's that's no secret but yeah the the movie really focuses on the one family because it's particularly devastating kind of when you think of you know comparing it to Ironclaw, where all the people in the family are dying i mean right. very different circumstances but uh, similarly tragic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my number four is John Wick, chapter Ooh, four. Okay. Uh this one had to make it on the list. This was uh, you know, I, I've made it no secret that John Wick's probably one of my f- is probably my favorite new franchise coming out of Hollywood. This this uh action film directed by an action stunt guy. And, you know, throw Keanu Reeves in for good measure, but just especially with this one, the the level of care they put into this film, not just in like the the run time. And I still I think a lot about them saying that this movie originally was like four hours long or five hours long, and they would make everyone watch the entire film to uh, like figure out what to cut because they had to cut things. And so they would consistently just keep doing that. And I just. Again, it, the, I don't know, everything about this movie is perfect. I don't think, and I just recently rewatched it, but I don't know if I would put it as high as some of the other John Wicks. Uh, but at the same time, I think as a closer for this iteration of John Wick, and I still have my own thoughts on what happens at the end, but um, I think it's a, a fitting end um, in, a, in a world where we're, co- well, I guess there's a John Wick movie coming out this year called Ballerina, but um, For him himself, I think it was a nice ending, and uh, again, it just—it was like a—it reminded me of like Babylon in some senses, or Saltburn of just the idea of this movie. It it was excessive in all the best ways. Like the fights are longer, the fights are better choreographed. They're in wider spaces. You know, they've got that giant over the head shotgun fight shot with the fire shotgun. Um, There's just so many moments in here. The the stairs sequence, like there's just so many amazing fight sequences in here that it just it shot to the top for me
1: yeah i did really like this one too i i mean i know i just talked about how all my favorite movies this year are very long but right john wick was pretty long too it's i think what was it two hours and 40 or something but i i did really enjoy it i personally i would rank it uh maybe third or so in that series i think two and three I still like more than this one. But
0: yeah, that, honestly, that might be my order is two, three, four, one. Even yeah. one, I loved one. So it's like they're all basically in the same vein. But yeah.
1: Well, yeah, that's, uh, I agree that it's an awesome franchise. And uh, it was, I'm surprised to see that it sort of came to an end in the way that it did. We'll see where. Yeah. I mean, I, like we said with Miyazaki retiring or whatever, too, you know, who's, who knows what we'll actually see. But. Uh, yeah, it was it was a really good movie. This would have been I don't know if I were in twenty top twenty or twenty five or so, it would definitely be in there.
0: Yeah, nice. Okay, awesome. All right, well here we've made it to the top three. Uh, what is your number three film?
1: <laughs> number three is a movie you uh, did talk about already. Bo is Ooh. afraid.
0: Oh, Bo is afraid. Okay, nice. Bo is
1: afraid. Nice. Yeah, I really really love this movie. It. Was not quite a ten out of ten for me. it was close though it was headed in that direction for maybe the first two hours um, i I feel like they lost me a little bit with some of what happened in the third hour but yeah uh, yeah w- what a what a wild ride this one was i I can't remember if I told you this, but i I feel like my impression was that while Ari Aster was writing this, you know Bo is his character with you know extreme anxiety that he's seeing a psychiatrist for and taking medication for and it seems like while Ari Aster was writing the script maybe he had a like a timer that went off every 10 minutes or so and say okay what what would be the paranoid thought in Bo's head at this moment and let's make that actually happen like that's yeah. how it felt for like the first hour or so where everything that happened to him was so insane and so ridiculous and it was just like how can all of this be happening to one person so there's a level of absurdity to it that i really enjoyed and then it shifts gears a little bit where he's taken in by this family after he gets hit by a car and all of that again similarly crazy and then there's this very long chunk in there where he's watching a play and envisioning that as his life story yeah yeah oh man i love that sequence so much and then
0: it was oh. a long sequence, too. Yeah. Though. Like, I loved the female voiceover while he's like walking around everywhere. That was really powerful.
1: Yeah. And there's just like so many things that, you know, it's like you just never really know where this movie's going in the next yeah. scene. Like, any one scene is crazy enough, but it's like you have no idea what's about to happen next at any point. And that, you know, that persisted for the entire movie. Uh, I think the one, like I said, there was a little bit later on that was, It was almost like it snapped to reality a little bit too much in a sense like we had this all these crazy setups and then something was kind of changed where it made it i mean it was still absurd but maybe a little less so in a different way and it just kind of it shook it for me a little bit but yeah the very end too that sort of turns this into a trial for you know him not Communicating with his mom enough, or hating his mom, and being I a bad son, a, basically. Yeah, really interesting and great way to end it. And then, you know, the the t- like the end credits. It's just the scene of basically this boat that he was like strapped to upside down because he's basically that's him experiencing the death penalty again. The whole thing is very bizarre, yeah, and it's almost impossible to explain to anybody. But I really loved it. And I, you know, the length didn't bother me because there were so many cool things that happened throughout. And it's, yeah, again, Ari Aster, like you said, he's on a hot streak, as a lot of these A24 creators are. And I, it's interesting. If I were to rank his movies, I think this might go ahead of Midsummer for me. But again, all three of his movies have been top-notch. Really yeah. enjoy his work.
0: Yeah, I don't even know where this would fall. But I I, I almost think at this point that like A24's motto, they should have it on their logo, should say, let them cook. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it feels like that. I just, anytime I know, anytime I watch an A24 movie, I at least know that this movie is exactly what the person intended it to be, good or bad. Like, I just, I know that they're getting to make the movie they want because their movies are just so out there. Yeah. Um. Nice. OK, cool. So number three. Wow. All right. Well, so we, we're we going to be seeing some repeats here. Number three for me is Killers of the Flower Moon. There we go. So, um. yes, I this was a, an awesome movie. I obviously initially teased it because of Scorsese and I's beef with Marvel. Um, but, you know, that's just that's just a couple of boys having fun. That's just some good natured ribbing. But, um, no, this was, this might be one of my favorite Scorsese films. And I, it, it makes me want to rewatch his other movies. That's how good it was. I was like, man, I need to, you know, some of his older ones I haven't seen in a long time. I'd love to rewatch like, uh, um, like Wolf of Wall Street, you know, as an example, but, um, it was awesome. This, you know, I've never been in a movie that long that didn't feel that long. And I, it's funny cause you know there's certain movies where like I remember when I was in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I remember I got up and went to the bathroom at one point and that movie's only an hour and a half I don't know how yeah. that's possible but I saw this twice in theaters and didn't go up once on both on both of them and uh i just like i said it you you kind of said it all when you explained it but i really loved this movie i loved lily gladstone's performance um i thought leo and de niro were both awesome as well and then there were a lot of really great standout you know uh other like side performances it seemed everyone was on their a-game in the movie yeah uh and then i'm trying to think there was a couple of other things the cinematography the uh And it's funny. I just even when I was watching it that second time, I was like, "Okay, so how how is this movie going by so fast?" And it's I was trying to figure it out, and I almost need to watch it another time to confirm what it is because there's there's not a lot that goes on in it, but for some reason there's just so much of it. So I don't know. I I loved it. Having read the book afterwards made me love it even more. And uh, I honestly, my biggest hope for this movie is that it comes out on physical.
1: Yeah, yeah. I would hate to have to. I mean, like, did Coda, is there a physical release of Coda? And I mean, if
0: they're smart, though, and they want to make more money back, like, physical media still is profitable. Like, if they made, especially for a company like Apple that's trying to blow money, like, just put it on physical and try and make some of your profits back.
1: Yeah. I would hope so, too, because this is one I would want to have as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Okay. So, uh, all right. Number numero dos.
1: Number two for me. again we're talking movies that have already been talked about a little bit but number two for me is oppenheimer
0: Ooh,
1: i loved i loved oppenheimer man this was a a, again as a fan of nolan i'm not going to say he could do no wrong but i can't think of a bad movie that he's made and uh this one just feels like it's firing on all cylinders and i love you know the cast in here is incredible you know you you mentioned and i'll you know, I'll be talking about this with the next movie too, but uh, Robert Downey Jr. being a mm. Marvel man, having a, a role like this, he just absolutely nailed it. And, you know, Killian Murphy nailed it. There was just so much, so many great actors in here. And the story is really interesting. I mean, I didn't know, I didn't know all this stuff about Oppenheimer. Um, but I also love the way that he sort of intertwined with all the other <clears throat> all the other physicists and stuff yeah, the like it speaking of Marvel, it almost felt like a like an avengers movie for physicists. It did yeah, it was, yes. was really cool, um but yeah, the score was really great uh, this is again one that I didn't quite feel the length. I will say that um you know it was like the first two hours of the movie were you know no notes perfect to me, um, uh, the final third of the movie it seemed like was this sort of aftermath this trial that he was experiencing which was also i mean it was still really good it was a a definite shift in momentum from the first portion of the movie but it was also really good so i you know i was trying to think to myself like you know if the first two thirds of the movie are like 10 out of 10 and the final third is maybe like high nine it's still a 10 out of 10 movie to me i can't deny that yeah um yeah i i really love this one and i i'm looking forward to rewatching it too because uh seeing it one time in theaters was great because we saw it in imax but uh it's not enough i need to see it again did you do the barbenheimer experience uh no we didn't i didn't do the double feature um i'm trying to remember which i think i think we saw barbie first uh i saw that with Daya and then uh she was feeling sexually she didn't see oppenheimer but then i went with um, some other friends. You know, we all saw that in IMAX, and uh, yeah, I I feel like I don't know the double feature. I can't speak to it because I didn't do it, but I feel like it was uh, it would have been would have been a long day at the movies. <laughs> <because laughs> it was. Oppenheimer being three hours. If you actually did that, yeah.
0: Yes, yeah, we did. Yeah, um, and we did Barbie in the morning. It was like uh, think it was like a twelve o'clock Barbie, and so we did brunch and then Barbie, and then there was a. Um, It was like a six o'clock or five o'clock for Oppenheimer. Yeah, um, it was good. I liked it that way, too, because I think um, I don't know. They they did. They really did play well together. And, you know, I know I, I tweeted this uh, last week, but um, we do have an opportunity for another Barbenheimer this year with uh, um, Furiosa and Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes released the same weekend. And if I was betting man, that would be my Barbenheimer of 24, because I think that's a really good double feature.
1: Uh, we, we call it do yeah,
0: yeah, I'm Ops. still trying to the planet of the Mad, Mad Max. I...
1: See, and I my feeling is that people are going to continue to try to make like, what's the next Barbenheimer? I don't think I don't know if there will ever be another thing quite like that, because yeah, I there think might. part not. of it is part of it is the contrast of those movies. Right. Right. Like they're very different. But I, you know, the other thing I'm realizing now is I wonder if the reason you didn't like Oppenheimer quite as much was because it was the second movie you watched to that day.
0: It's it's like, certainly possible because yes. at that
1: point, yeah, if you'd spent that much to be watching a three hour movie as the second movie, you see, I could see that feeling maybe a little tiring. And
0: I mean, but I was pumped up. I was, I was excited just from the, the atmosphere of the event but you're absolutely right. I mean, it did feel long. There was a moment where, I, out of all of the long movies this year, I honestly thought Oppenheimer was the longest, but that's probably because of that. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're, you're definitely right. Um, you know, that's funny, too, because <laughs> for those listening, we did not coordinate our lists. But, um, you know, when we got number eight for Stevie is Barbie, and for me is Oppenheimer, for number two for Stevie's Oppenheimer, for me it's Barbie uh so uh that was uh well that was my number one movie for quite some time uh, on this list um but i loved barbie i uh i liked it you know again of the barbenheimer i certainly would pick barbie um but it was it was both like an it exceeds expectations but then there was just such a um a feel-good quality about this movie and that it was it was a legit cinematic movie like the fact that they opened it up with the uh 2001 space odyssey opening was incredible uh you know the soundtrack i listened to all summer long uh there's just so many pieces of this movie that again i you know in a different time maybe this movie wouldn't have been as high on the list but it's one of those true event films that it felt yeah. like for me where I bought the soundtrack, you know, I wore pink to the to the premiere, um, all of that sort of stuff. And and the movie ended up being really good. So, um, I, you know, it was one of those, like, like you said, I don't know if we're going to be able to capture that again. Um, my, my money's still on that that apes and Joseph, uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know. See, Alex,
1: I, as a quick note, I saw some people saying that They're trying to do it with um, that beekeeper movie and mean Mean girl the same weekend. Yeah. And
0: it's like you can't you got to look at it and see like there's no way that's going to be it.
1: I think I think the difference there is I think we both expect those movies. We expect both of those movies to be bad. Yeah, exactly. Oppenheimer being the Nolan movie and Barbie being Greta Gerwig and just this big new thing with great actors. It was like those we knew were going to be huge movies. And the fact that they were on the same day and so different. That just made it cool.
0: And that's where I'm going to be curious about this one because Furiosa and Apes are both dystopian action movies.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, You know, one's female led, one's monkey led. (laughs) But uh, I think there's I don't know. I feel like if they're Hollywood definitely wants one of these things. And I think they need to start thinking about this more because the you know back in the day the double feature was a a big thing for a lot of people. It's true. And um, you know they plan these movie slates out years in advance, so it's like you would think studios would want to start maybe teaming up, Avengers style. But again, you know there's a lot of old heads in the in those studios that don't want to try something new. Uh, But again, yeah, Barbie number two for me. loved it and I, I hope it gets some really nice awards love this year uh i think it certainly deserves it um all right here we are we're at uh, number one numero uno it's,
1: it's interesting i'm trying to in my mind guess what your number one is i know what i have a means. i have a feeling what your number one is but i'm not sure yeah.
0: well let's uh, uh why don't we let our esteemed and illustrious guest uh yeah. share his number one
1: sure by all means especially since mine is one that has been talked about uh poor things oh uh, four things is my number one of the year wow and yeah, yeah i was not expecting to like it this much i mean i i don't know why i would even say that i i do like your Ghost Land the lanthimos i i really enjoyed uh killing of a sacred deer that's previously that was my favorite movie of his um, i loved how dark and twisted it was uh some of his other movies he made the favorite too right
0: You did the favorite. Yep. And then uh, there was one. Oh, we needed the lobster. lobster.
1: Yeah. yeah, Dog tooth. I've seen, and those are, I enjoyed them. And the favorite too, I guess that was, you know, previously he worked with Emma Stone. Like that was a great movie, but uh, it didn't grip me the way this one did. And uh, yeah, this one is just so it's very out there, very imaginative. It's um, I mean, the whole story that she was, you know, this is, you got willem defoe who's basically like dr frankenstein and he found this woman. i'm something
0: that, of a romantic myself <laughs> yeah
1: he found this woman who had killed herself but was basically freshly dead and she was also pregnant and he takes the brain out of her baby inserts it into her head just because he's like this science this i mad did scientist the only logical lives. thing yeah he does a lot of these weird this is just what he does is weird experiments and so we get to see her sort of as an adult baby essentially growing up and uh, it's like this accelerated learning process but yeah like you said it's a really interesting exploration of like you know what it means to be a human and you know just all these realizations about the world and she's obviously very intelligent and being raised by uh the doctor, and by the way, his name is I believe it's Godwin, but she calls him God, which yeah God is very fitting because he's basically playing God. but yeah, Emma Stone really nails that sort of character evolution from this adult baby to uh, even not even quite fully polished adult by the end because it's like she's still maybe mentally only a, a couple years old if that um, but yeah, and the technicals are really great on this one. I, I The beginning of the movie is cool because a lot of it's filmed with like a fish eye lens and it's black and white and once she finally like escapes essentially into the real world it's in color suddenly and she's in all these different places like uh lisbon portugal and then she's in greece but the way these cities are designed they're like it's like these weird dolly paintings or something yeah like it doesn't even it does not seem real at all it's very bizarre uh, but the, just the the way that that's designed and the way that the sky is colored in certain scenes, it's just, again, there was a lot of care poured into those little details that just emphasized how fantastical the whole thing was. And the score was really great. I just, I, it was one of these movies where it was like, there's not a single thing in the movie that I could point to and think to myself, oh, that could be done better or you know, maybe this wasn't, this didn't quite nail it. And I, there's one point in the movie that I know you and I would probably disagree on, mm-hmm. which is at the very end, because, and I love the, like the final act of the movie is like, basically the husband of the woman who killed herself comes back and is like, you know, finally, I found you, blah, blah, blah. and Interrupts the wedding that she's going through with somebody else. And he's like this horrible human being, this really abusive guy. And she has to escape from that scenario. And then, Ultimately, you know, her dad is dying and she's got this guy who basically they have to perform an operation on to save and it's builds it up in such a way that you're absolutely expecting and this is obviously spoilers. You're expecting them to put uh Godwin's brain in this guy's body and instead they put like the brain of a goat in his body. So essentially that guy becomes a goat. And I I think it, you know, it sort of, you know, It just ties a bow on the absurdity of the movie. But I I also think it makes sense because, you know, this guy was such an evil person to her and to who she once was that it would almost be an insult to put uh, her dad's brain in that guy because then suddenly she has to interact with him on a regular basis. And it's like, you know, Willem Dafoe's character had been experimented on as a child. He was already kind of a, a Frankenstein creature of his own. And I think it was a more dignified choice to just, you know, let him pass peacefully, and then just kind of screw over this guy and turn him into a goat because he's a piece of shit. So.
0: Yeah, I, I can agree with it in that respect. I just wish maybe they'd have found another body then, because I, I, from yeah, the idea true. of him being experimented on his whole life, like he deserved to live in a body that was like completely of his own making in a sense. Um, versus one that had been experimented on by his father yeah that's
1: that's true too but i either way i came to terms with it very quickly it was like you know what i understand the choice and it, it it wasn't a deal breaker for me i don't know if that how much that affected your enjoyment of the movie but just with what i was saying where almost everything basically everything in the movie i looked at said you know what i couldn't have done any better like there's no point in this movie where i'm saying you know this didn't quite work for me like everything every part of the movie worked for me yeah so i just yeah I, I i will sing its praises highly and recommend it to anybody
0: yeah no it definitely is worth seeing and if if you can still see it in theaters certainly try cuz I, I bet you this is that's definitely going to be an awards season um, film yeah um so yeah my uh, my number one goes a little something like this it's Godzilla minus one. Oh,
1: shoot. Okay, wow.
0: Yeah, this movie, I wanted, I gave it a 10 right when I got out of the theater, and as I sat on it, I bumped it back down to a nine, but there's a good chance I'll probably bump it back up to a 10 once I get to rewatch it again. But, I mean, you know me, I'm a huge Godzilla guy, and this is the best Godzilla movie I've ever seen. So, um, I would put this above even the original Godzilla, uh, which is something I hadn't really touched with the Warner Brothers films. But um, yeah. those are a different type of Godzilla movie, and I still love those Warner Brothers movies. Uh, maybe not as much as other people. Well, maybe I love them more than what other people do just because yeah. they're not great. But um, one of the key problems with those movies is that it's very hard to care about the humans because either the acting is poor or the storyline itself is weak. Um, because and that's fine, because I'm there to see Godzilla destroy, you know, life and property. But um, yeah. in this film, uh, I was, you know, that's where I when I knew was when I started rooting for the humans, and I started getting very, very scared whenever Godzilla came on screen. And I was like, you know what? I like that we can get two Godzillas now. We've got our our little buddy Godzilla who is now becoming BFFs with Kong in Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. Um, but then here we get the Godzilla that I don't think is going to end up being friends with anybody because uh, he's just pissed off. And that's OK, uh, because getting to see a nuke come out of his mouth when he's doing his heat breath was just incredible. Oh,
1: my God. Yeah.
0: Um, the the boats, you know, to, my, my favorite thing was there was a tweet I saw that said the, the movie. It was like the movie in three acts and it said act one was Jurassic Park. And I think they're talking about the opening dinosaur bit of you know him on the island uh and oh, then yeah. uh, act two is jaws which okay. uh, i totally agree with and yeah. then act three was uh what was it that act three was um i had it on
1: would it be uh star wars uh yeah
0: um oh no dunkirk
1: oh okay okay
0: because of all the boats yeah uh, but no, this this movie just it was amazing. I there's a couple of moments of it like there's a child actor that had some awkward face facial like I'm nitpicking this movie hard to try and find something yeah. that I didn't like about it because um, I mean, I, I grew attached to almost every single character in the movie uh i loved the messages that it was sending i loved the just how different it was from the other godzilla movies while also basically being a re-treading of the first godzilla film uh just yeah. kind of put into a modern space so um yeah it's definitely was my my favorite movie of the year
1: I'm, I'm impressed to hear that i was i was thinking and i don't know where this one falls but uh guardians of the galaxy 3 was that did that not make
0: that did not make the cut no i uh, i thought that was a great movie i really liked it I just i liked all these other movies more
1: yeah see that was close that was that would have been like my next honorable mention in line so i was just for some reason i was expecting maybe that was number one but uh, oh oh
0: yeah no i did not like it that much certainly not yeah. um i i've i've been kind of uh I like the Guardians movies. I don't think I'm as big a fan of them as like the typical fan is. Yeah. Um, so they've never really been. I mean, my favorite's still probably the first one. But yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah no, I, I, I agree agree with that. That. So, um, But yeah, wow. So there we are. We made it through our top ten of 2023. Um, you heard it here first. The movies are here to stay. Uh, that's a that's going to be our theme that we're going to take out of this. Um, Stevie, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to uh, to share these movies with you. I'm glad our lists were very similar,
1: yeah, yeah, almost surprised. Um, but yeah, it's cool to see. I like too that we had Barbie and Oppenheimer in the same spots, which was
0: kind of yeah, funny. yeah, that's a but good yeah. uh, very fitting
1: um so it sounds like you did not have any tens this year. is that right?
0: Yeah, no, no tens interesting i, I know I... I don't know if it's because i was being stingy or um i don't know i mean ratings has been really especially now with letterboxd uh it's just <clears throat> i don't know the rating system's just a little bit different and so i'm having to like figure out you know doesn't fit here it's i don't know it's weird who knows like i said i might end up giving godzilla a 10 at some point but
1: yeah wow well hey great movies overall even if even if they're not tens there's still a lot of great ones this year oh yeah
0: no definitely definitely got a good spread i'm excited for the movies coming out this year we've got some good things looking forward to i think the first big hit's going to be madam web just kidding it's it'll be (laughs) dune in march uh that's going to be super exciting too but yeah no thanks so much and uh always great to have you on we'll have to see if maybe we uh, swing another one of these maybe at the end of next year if uh (laughs) if we haven't closed up shop by then
1: that's right. Hey, who knows? It might be like a Miyazaki uh, return to form. Ooh, so yeah,
0: exactly. I love that comparison. The
1: door might be closed, but it's never, never locked. It's still a door.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, maybe maybe a window opens somewhere else. Yeah,
1: who knows? Maybe secret a maybe a enemy. secret hatch. Maybe a manhole. Yeah, oh, a secret maybe a tunnel. Maybe a shout out to a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles.
0: Ooh, manhole. yes, yes. Yeah, very nice. (laughs) Awesome. Well, hey, that is going to do it for us here at Comics and Cinema. Stevie, thanks again. This was uh, an awesome episode. I I hope our listeners enjoy it. And for those of you out there, um, again, Golden Globes are tonight. I hope your picks win. Uh, And for everyone else, we will see you at the movies.